Thank you, graduates, for sharing with us today, and thank you, families, for being here. Uh, our uh, Norman High and Norman North graduated on Thursday and Friday, and so we know we had extended family that came in, and, and we thank you for staying a few extra days to be a part of this special worship service. Graduates, it's been a long week, hasn't it? Some of you began, I think, Graham, didn't you graduate a week ago, um, two weeks ago, and then baccalaureate. We hosted a community baccalaureate service last Sunday afternoon, then graduation Thursday and Friday for our Norman schools. Then uh, I went to several uh, receptions for our graduates, so they've been at having receptions and celebrating. And now today, here we are again with your cap and or your gown. We didn't bring, bring your, your cap, but uh, celebrating uh, this important and significant milestone. And truly, this is a significant milestone in your life. And so it's important that you celebrate with your family. It's important that you celebrate with your friends and through, through your school accomplishments. But it's also important that we celebrate with our church family and that we begin to have some kind of a, a spiritual understanding of this significant and momentous time in your life. You know, I, I referred to earlier about that great cloud of witnesses in your life. And it's important that we take time at different seasons of our lives to, to reflect and to remember and to celebrate. And this is one of those times. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, we had your family and that, that's here stand up. There's Sunday school teachers out there. There's, uh, there's choir leaders out there. There's camp sponsors and directors. There's ministers out that have, have invested and impacted your lives. And it's important to take time to remember. It's important that on a weekend like this, Memorial Day weekend, that we take time to remember too. Remember those who have passed. Remember those in your family that, that you remember their influence and you remember them maybe as a, a, a child growing up and you can remember their contribution and their love for you. It's important that as a nation, as a people, that we take this weekend to remember those who've gone before us, those who've sacrificed who've given so much that we might remember, that we might give thanks for their sacrifice that they've given to us. So on this Memorial Day weekend, I think it's very appropriate that we celebrate this high school graduation accomplishment that you have. Congratulations. It could be that maybe this is the, that last moment of reflection and, and celebration before life begins, right? It's important that we celebrate with each other. It's important that we recognize those who've contributed in our lives. So this morning, I want to tell you a story from Acts chapter 4. It's a story of a person, actually of a couple of men, who were recognized. They were recognized as having been with Jesus. And if you'll look in your Bibles, I, I've gone through and I think I've marked all of your Bibles in Acts chapter 4. And said, that's my prayer for you. That's our, my prayer, I think, as a church for you, is that you would be young men and women who are recognized as having been with Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are in trouble. In fact, they're in so much trouble that they're on trial. In Acts chapter 3, they had healed a man. They had healed a man who had been, had been lame from birth. His ankles, the scripture indicates... His ankles uh, were not formed, fused properly and correctly. And so for 40 years, the scripture tells us, that he begged, he, he was there at the gate, of the beautiful gate, begging for alms, begging for people to, to give him the resources he needed to support himself. And so Peter and John healed him. 
And this man got up and he leaped and he was rejoicing and he was walking through the temple celebrating what God had done. And people began to ask questions. And people began to focus on Peter and, and John because this, this lame man that was healed, he didn't fully understand what was going on, but he knew he could walk. And so we left chapter 3 last week with, with the crowds beginning to be stirred and people coming to hear from Jesus, um, from Peter and John about Jesus and about his resurrection. And we want to pick up that story in, in chapter 4, verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, and they were greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, one of the interesting things about Sadducees is they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in any resurrection. So, and they were kind of in charge of that temple area. That's where the, the high priest came from. And so here's Peter and John drawing a crowd, saying that they'd healed this man in the name of Jesus who'd been resurrected. And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were going to do whatever they could to keep Peter and John quiet. So we continue to read. And they laid their hands on them, and they threw them in jail until the next day. For it was already late or in the evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of men came to be around 5,000 that believed. Now at the end of chapter 2, we know that that number is 3,000. We don't know the exact time frame, but between chapter 2 and chapter 4, another 2,000 men had come to believe in Jesus Christ. On the next day... The rulers and elders and scribes gathered in Jerusalem. Well, they arrested them the night before, and then you can just go and see that the Sadducees and, and those that were there to arrest them, they went and put the word out. Hey, everybody's got to be here in the morning. We've got to put a muzzle on Peter and John. And so they rallied the troops, and they gathered their folks, and it go, it's a who's who of Sadducees and of the, the temple leaders. And Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire. So they kind of this, this half circle kind of a thing with all these intimidating religious leaders, and they put Peter and John right in the middle. And they began to ask, by what power or in what name have you done this? By whose authority have you done this? Have you created this stir? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this name of Jesus, by this name, Name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which you rejected, the builders, but which came to be which became the chief cornerstone. And there is no salvation in anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven that is given among men by which we must be saved. Now 
as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. And they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing by them, they had nothing to say. You know, it's hard to challenge and, and to doubt someone when, when the person whose life has been totally transformed and changed, and everybody knows it, is standing right there. They didn't have anything to say, right? There he was. There's the proof. There's the evidence. So let's go back and let's, let's talk about this, this story and see if there's some things we can gain from it as we move forward from this day, graduates. First of all, we discover that they are on trial. Peter and John are on trial. And the first question that is asked is by what power or what name or what authority have you done this by? And they're quick to respond. We've done this in the name, in the authority, in the power of Jesus Christ. Now, isn't it interesting there? In verse 8, after they're asked this question, the Scripture tells us that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now back in Acts chapter 2, verse, verse 4, we see the initial filling of the Spirit of God. It's what we call Pentecost, and the Spirit of God comes upon them. Now I, I would not understand this, this passage here to say, well, the Spirit of God was on them in, in chapter 2, then the Spirit of God left, and now the Spirit of God's back, and the Spirit of God's going to leave again. No, I, I think what it would have us to understand is they were filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was presence was present in their lives, but in this particular moment, there was a, a fresh or a new experience or realization of the power and the presence of the Spirit of God in their lives. In Luke chapter 12, Luke writes this, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak on your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what to say. So the Spirit of God was indwelling them, was present in them, was being manifested in them because of the miracles that they had performed. But in this particular moment, as they're being put on trial, the Spirit of God indwells, impassions, empowers them in, in a rich way, in a way for that particular moment, and gives Peter and John the words to say to that crowd. And they say, we are on trial today because we made this man well. That word made well is the word saved. We are on trial today because we saved this man. Pharisees, the Sadducees, those religious leaders didn't want somebody else saving anybody, much less Peter or John or much less Jesus himself. And it says we are on trial because we have saved this man and we have saved this man by the name and the power of Jesus whom you crucified. And you can just see him glaring and looking. These are the same men. This is just a few months later. These are the same men that condemned and put Jesus Christ on the cross. And yet with courage and boldness, Peter and John said, by the name of Jesus that you crucified, we have healed and this man has been saved. By no other name can anyone else be saved except through Jesus. 
Graduates, we've been talking about over these last weeks, what shall we do? What shall we do with our faith in Christ? What shall we do as the Spirit of God indwells us and leads us and guides us in these days? Acts 4.13 tells us to be courageous, to be bold, to be confident, to tell our story, to tell our story of Christ. You see, boldness and courage in life come from passion. They come from confidence. They come from our experience and from our experience of God. Our boldness and courage comes from the filling and indwelling of the Spirit of God in us. Peter and John knew what they were saying was true because they had experienced it themselves. They had experienced the power of Christ in their lives, and they had experienced the power of Christ leaving their lives as they saw others healed through the name of Christ. And these religious leaders were almost befuddled. They were dumbfounded. That word there that says that they were untrained and uneducated, one of those words would be transliterated. They were idiotes. They were idiots. They thought they were idiots coming. But they spoke with a, a wisdom. They spoke with a knowledge. They spoke with an experience that could not be challenged. And these men that were considered to be idiots in the world were found to be filled with wisdom and power. They began to ask the question, how can this be? How can these fishermen from, from the Sea of Galilee, how can they be so wise? And how can they have such power in their conversation? And you can just see them chattering among each other. And then the thought came out. One of them must have said, wait a minute. Aren't these the guys that were with Jesus? I thought we kind of got rid of the Jesus crowd. But these are the guys that were with Jesus. And in verse 13, they were recognized as having been with Jesus. It was discerned, it was perceived that they had spent time with Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting that on the night that Jesus was crucified, that Peter was standing around a campfire, warming his hands, and three times, three times people came up to him and said, Hey, don't you know Jesus? Don't you know Jesus? You're, you're one of Jesus' disciples. You're one of his followers. And three times, the scripture tells us in Luke, Peter denied. Oh, I don't know him. What are you talking about? I don't know that man. Well, what happened? What happened that now, here these men are saying, Wow, you, you guys... We recognize you. You were Jesus' followers. Whereas a few months ago, Peter denied that. John denied. All the disciples denied that. Well, what was the difference? The difference was the resurrection. Peter said, the one that you crucified, God raised him from the dead. The one that you rejected is now the chief cornerstone. And by his name and by his authority and by his power, you are saved. Peter and John were recognized as being with Jesus. Graduates, have you been recognized as being with Jesus? Parents, grandparents, congregation, are you recognized as a person who's been with Jesus? The question assumes that you have been with Jesus, right? The question assumes that you've been to a place called Gethsemane. A place of, called Gethsemane that's a place of surrendering our will to the will of God. 
It assumes that you've been to the cross. That place where our sin is paid for, where our sin is resolved, where we are cleansed through the, the sacrifice, the blood of Christ. Have you been to the cross? Have you recognized your guilt? You're placing Jesus upon that cross. And lastly, have you been to the empty tomb? That place of victory over death. That place where you experience and and receive life eternal. That place where you begin to live a new life. A life that's been cleansed and forgiven and redeemed and set on the path for a new journey. Are you living in such a way that others recognize Jesus in you? Graduates, are you aware of the presence of Christ in your own life and in the life of others? A lot of times I've heard it at camp. I know when Kirk took you to camp, I know when Rich is taking you to camp, we've used words, they've asked questions like, where did you see Jesus today? Isn't that the question? The question is, I see Jesus in you. I recognize Jesus in you when. I recognize Jesus in you when you help others. I recognize Jesus in you when you feed the poor. I recognize Jesus in you when you bind up the wounded. Those that are hurting, those that are grieving. When you come alongside of them, and sometimes there's no words to say, but you just come alongside of them and you embrace them. You love them. And you say, man, I love you and I care for you. And I know God does too. And we're going to get through this. I see Jesus in you when you help someone who's in need, when you help someone with their homework or with a project or their studies, when you help around the house, especially when you don't even have to be asked. I see Jesus in you when you offer encouraging words. I recognize Jesus in you when you forgive someone who's offended you. I recognize Jesus in you when you give something away, something away that maybe somebody else needs a little more than you do. I recognize Jesus in you when you let someone else stand in the spotlight, someone else receive the praise. I see Jesus in you when you simply talk about Jesus. You encourage others to get to know him as well. Graduates, everyone here, have you been recognized with Jesus lately? Having been with him? Today's sermon, graduate, is ultimately about influence. It's a question of influence. Who influences you? Who are the people that are shaping and have shaped and influenced and formed you? Author Bob Goff says this. He says, the people that impact me the most are the people that are the most available to me. There's familiar proverbs. Listen to these proverbs. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Another proverb, you become like the five people that you spend the most time with. Another proverb, you, excuse me, your friends are a reflection of you. Graduates, what family, what mentors, what coaches, what teachers, what peers do you allow to speak into your life, to influence you because you will be recognized as having been with them? Proverbs 13.20 says it this way, He who walks with the wise, with wise men, will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. 1 Corinthians 15, puts it this, this way. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. 
What media, what music, what movies, what are the things that you allow the world to pour into your life, to influence you with? You will be recognized as having been with those influencers in your life. Graduates, here's something exciting that I want you to hear. From this day forward, you have the chance to start all over with those people that you will allow to influence and speak into your lives. You have the chance to choose afresh and anew friends, mentors, teachers, coaches. Those people that will begin to influence you. Those people who you will become to look like and to act like. Choose carefully. Be proactive in surrounding yourself with the people that you want to look like, the people that you want to shape and to form your life. And graduates, what about Jesus? How will you invite and allow him to continue to speak and influence your life? Through scripture that you've been given today, through prayer, through worship, through study, through surrounding yourself with Christian men and women and allowing them to speak into your life. But graduates, hear me also to say, this is not just about who's influencing you because there's a second question of influence that each of you needs to be aware of. And that's the second question of influence that I call, who are you influencing today? Whose life are you speaking into today? Whose life are you shaping and forming? Some of you may have younger brothers and sisters. Some of you may have other, other friends. Some of you have been involved in, in peer groups where you're influencing your friends, where maybe you're coaching and teaching and mentoring younger students as well. Who are you influencing? What adults are you influencing and shaping and encouraging? Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, I know it's a passage that y'all are familiar with, let no one look down on you because you're young. But rather you, you, in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, in your purity, you show yourself to be an example to others, to be an example of those who believe. Graduates, what if from this day forward, you, and man, y'all are an exciting group. Y'all are going all kinds of places. Wow. What if from this day forward you chose to influence others on behalf of Jesus, on behalf of good, through your speech, conduct, love, your faith, and your purity? What if? How could you all change the world? Wow. George Barna, church statistician, uh, researcher, says that the average Christian in the average church is almost indistinguishable from the rest of society. The fundamental moral and the ethical difference that Christ can make in how we live is missing today. Church graduates, we have lost our influence in this world. The salt is not very salty. What if you, class of 2017, committed yourselves to becoming influencers and doers of good for Christ in this world. Graduates, what shall we do? What shall you do 
Oh, that you would be a class and individuals that would be recognized as having been with Jesus. Graduates, this is my prayer for you. And church, for each of us in this season of life. Let's pray.